I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I want you to choose A or B, okay? A is uh, is some, like, real-life bitchin' 2020 uh, r- reality sci-fi, okay? And then, or, or B, we can only do one of these today, or B, um, some classic OG sick boy uh, uh, sophomoric dick humor. Oh wow, that's a this hard is, choice. This is really challenging. I and think it, I'm I know also, what the I'm sci-fi sad. thing is. I'm sad that we can only pick one. Well, you know, just, who knows? Maybe we'll have time for two. I don't know. Can I? Can I ask? Can I? Can you give me a hint? If I can yes. I ask you a question as yes. a hint. Yes. Does the sci-fi thing have anything to do with a metal object? A, a mental object or a metal a, object? A, a, a metal object in the a metal ob- object in the desert. No, it does not. But I fucking okay. saw oh, that, dude. dude. I saw that too. The I mon- know what you're talking about the monolith. Yeah, dude. No, I but I guess. I saw that. Uh, Lauren, what's your guess? Does it have to do with a monkey? It does have to do with a monkey, and not the monkey. Oh my god! Did someone fuck a monkey? I, I, and then no. there's a new there's a new pandemic. Whoa! Well, I thought the sophomore humor was option B. Oh Taylor. my god! Whoa, guys! Wow, that's we really dude. can have it all, dude. That's how that's how oh, pandemics start. Is it Planet of the Apes type material? Uh, no, it isn't. It's, so it's, there's <laughs> definitely no monkey, monkey fucking, at least as far as I'm concerned. But there is a monkey involved, Lauren. Congratulations. I think you know what story I'm talking about. All right, let's do it. You want to do the monkey one? Well, well now we need to know, I feel. All right. So this is, uh, this is wild. I do, and I do love this because, as you, as you all know, I do love sci-fi. I love, I love weird genre Films, and this is something straight out of a weird genre film, and it's real life. This is coming from Natalie O'Neill from the New York Post. Very reputable New York Post. Scientists splice human genes into monkey brains to make them bigger and smarter. Oh, Dude, you yes. said this wasn't Planet of the Apes material. This is exa- all, all I this need to know is that first the, sentence, and I'm like, that's the plot for Planet of the Apes. This is literally the first three shots of Planet of the Apes. I guess scientists you know, injecting monkeys. You know, I guess you are kind of right. It is. I guess, yeah. I I was thinking more so. I was thinking more so future of of Planet of the Apes, where they actually we are their we are their slaves. Uh, but this, I mean, what could go wrong? You know, that's the first yeah. line in this article. What could go wrong? And that is what could go wrong. Uh, yeah. Scientists made monkey brains double in size by splicing them with human genes in a Planet of the Apes style experiment. I was going to say, I was going to say, if there was no mention of Planet of the Apes in this article, that would be, uh, that would be a gross uh, missed opportunity. Uh, yeah. I have a question though. Does yeah. size matter? And if that- so, how much? That is a really good and question. And also, I'm not going to walk right into the sophomore humor there that we could. Um, but uh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know. Does size matter when it comes to brain power? Like, you know, like I hear it's I, how you use it. I imagine oh in, God, in terms Lauren. of evolution, mm. I, I imagine though, in terms of e- like evolutionary <laughs> capabilities, I imagine that like size allows for other things. Yeah. I heard next. it's how so your like- brain moves back and forth rhythmically. And it's kind of like the way that it, that it sort of the brain thrusts when it thrusts wow. in a certain way, the brain, wow. the size of the brain doesn't matter as much. It's more of the way that it thrusts and how hard it thrusts and like that sort of thing. During the study, <laughs> Japanese and German researchers injected a gene called ARHGAP11B. 
Argob. Arg. It's like the name of Elon Musk's second yeah. second child. Otherwise known as the pirate gene. Uh, oh, wait, never mind. Elon Musk has like 19 children, so his 20th child is uh, yeah. that's the name of his 20th child. Uh, so this uh, this gene which directs stem cells into the human brain. Uh, into the dark matter of marmoset fetuses, according to a release study, uh, a release about this research, they found that the primates' brains soon became more human-like by developing larger, more advanced neuro uh, neocortexes, the area that controls cognition and language, according to the study published by the journal Science in June. According to images released by the researchers, the modified monkey brains nearly doubled in size at around 100 days into gestation. Quote, We found, indeed, that the neocortex of the common marmoset brain was enlarged and the brain surface folded, said study author Michael Hayde. <clears throat> the neocortex is the newest part of the brain to evolve. <clears throat> One sign that the <laughs> may have caused the brain growth during human evolution, the researchers said. Ultimately, scientists opted to abort the monkey fetuses due to quote, unforeseeable consequences, according to the release. <laughs> no, right. they watched Planet of the Apes and they were yeah. like, oh, yeah. we're yeah. fucking yeah. up yeah. right now. They got really stoned and they were like, man, James Franco is super great in this, in this yeah. new reboot of the franchise. And then they were like, and now we should we should kill the fetuses. Wait, what is it? What is a marmoset? Do you guys know what a marmoset looks yeah, like? Yeah, dude. My favorite animal <laughs> no growing idea. up was a pygmy marmoset. Dude, Google pygmy marmoset. They're like the cutest little monkeys ever. Oh, okay. look at I'm these told. little buds. I know, right? Okay, Bro, now, now, guys. <clears throat> Google just pygmy marmoset. For a moment. Oh, my God. For a moment. Just imagine having one of these little guys on your finger. <gasps> Okay. All right. Look, I'm going to bring up an image here. If you, if you image, if you Google image search uh, marmoset finger, you'll probably be able to find this. Guys, look at this photo. All right? oh, I forgot oh, I how much it. I love now, them, dude. And now tell me how amazing it would be if if you had this little guy hanging out on your finger and had a conversation with him. Yeah. Because he's and developed imagine, language. And then imagine if you could give oh. him just this tiny little. AR-15, and he could go no. and just <laughs> no. and you sneak into anywhere no. that you wanted to and, like, just, I mean, really fuck some oh, shit up. No, I don't like that movie. I like the, I'm, I'm more, I'm, I'm more leaning into the Pixar moment here where it's like your little buddy and he's yeah, on your finger and, and he's like, you know, he's like, oh, you know, you're tired today. I'll, I'll, I'll pick the. I'll pick the the yeah. the, the, the mice, out of your hair. Yeah. 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 And then you know? he makes like a sexual like 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 some sort of like sexual innuendo so all the parents in the crowd get it as well and they're like, "Hey, this is a fun movie." Wait, what? <laughs> why did, why are we are we talking now talking about fucking the monkey again? What the fuck's going on, guys? <laughs> no, 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 no. I wasn't going I wasn't going there. You're implying you're talking about how every Disney movie is loaded with sexual innuendos to entertain uh, yes, the parents yes. that that's take right. their kids to watch that's them. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's funny. Now I can't look at this photo of him wrapping his arms around the finger and just thinking it's a, a dick. Oh, no. <laughs> Man, guys, can someone I please make that happen on Photoshop and send it? I, in, I, I intentionally wanted to go down option A so that we avoided all of the dick talk and sophomore humor. Dude. And yet here we are. <laughs> Well, do you guys want to go down option B just 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 cuz? <laughs> just for fun. Yeah. Uh yeah, this it. is pretty fucking brilliant. So, uh this is a this is a CBC article. Uh CBC News posted this uh earlier in the week. Uh so this is coming out of BC, specifically BC Ferries. They were they were mocked on this like this was kind of like late night television sort of uh content. And um uh this is a sign that was made for BC ferries to remind travelers that masks were mandatory. But the sign is really poorly made in that there's a, <laughs> the, so if you, if you Google this, if you just Google uh, BC ferries mask sign, you'll see what we're talking about here. If you look at the sign for just a moment, it's, it's a, basically a stick figure's yeah. head and, um, or, or like a line drawing, a simple line drawing of, of a, of a figure wearing a mask, but the, the mask, um, what would you call it? The elastics for the mask and the ear mm -hmm. create a pretty mm -hmm. obvious, like phallic symbol, yeah. uh, that definitely kind of like at the, all the imagery from the Seattle airport. It's the, um, it's the Denver <laughs> airport, but yes. Yeah, the, <laughs> yes. If, if you know, you know, it's, you know, you, 
what this mm, bears a striking Lord. resemblance to, which I'm sure most of our audience is familiar um, is familiar with uh, anyway, is the um, the the international symbol uh, or the symbol for the International Fellatio Day. Um, and where you get this really nice symbol of a, of a, of a, of a penis being uh, rammed down, uh, the back of someone's throat <clears throat> with oh, a strange you know, white object on the balls. I, 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 I do you know gotta that, say that though, wait, that, go ahead, Bray. I was going to say, did you know that there is a real international fellatio day? Of, I just, of course, I just, of course, of course there is. Of course. What is it like June 9th? <laughs> Dude, did, wait, get Lauren, it. did you Google it? No. Well, it's 6-9, it's, June 9th. I mean, like, just it's, think of it's, anything. It's though. literally, it's literally like, June 9th. International, <laughs> international rope play day. I Googled it. Has to it. be June 9th. What other day? I, <laughs> that's really good that you picked that. International <laughs> leather daddy day. I mean, they all, everything exists. I'm Googling that too. Fuck, that's really funny. I, I mean, one thing I got to say about this, about this BC sign is that um, you know BC fairies? Um, they they have a pretty good sense of humor. So this blew up. It became kind of like I mean I guess technically like international late show nightly late like late night show host news. Um, BC fairies put out a tweet that basically just said, "What a wild ride!" For anyone that missed it, masks are mandatory at hashtag BC fairies terminals and on board our vessels. So you like the signs? Okay, we'll keep them a little longer. Uh, but I think they are going uh, going ahead and making changes to those signs. But God damn, isn't that's that fantastic. so great? I love I love that. Fantastic. I love that they had a good sense of humor about it because, like, it's you, also the way that it's also the way that it looks like it's it's being shoved in and up, like in this yeah. sort of stabbing <laughs> direction. Rather, you know what I mean? It's very. Um, yeah. I mean, very like, peculiar. it's. Do you think the person who designed it? I was going to ask. You know, thing. like you, yeah, you know definitely. when you look at. You know when you look at the um, like old school versions. If you know anybody who has the the, the VHS um, set of uh, the Little Mermaid, uh, if you look at the 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 castle, this is a legit thing. If you look at the castle in the Little Mermaid, one of the pillars of the castle is is at the at the tip of it. It is it's drawn into a very obvious penis. Like it is, oh, there's, there's yeah, absolutely no so. doubt that it is a penis. You can look it up. It's, it's pretty wild. And I know like, you know, whoever the animator was at Disney was like, I'm, I'm slipping a penis in here. Like that's my, that's my Easter egg here. And that's pretty funny, but I, it's I, like a, it's I, like a veiny penis. Oh, it's, it's really intense. Like it's a, it's a very like obvious, like dildo that's just been inserted into the, into or it's, the, into or, or it's just a piece of coral. You you guys just have dirty minds. <laughs> okay. Well, any, <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. I I do. I feel like I feel like this this BC fairy sign. Like whoever designed it, I honestly feel like they they were completely blind to it. Like I don't think that they. I had. I don't think they had any clue that it That's looked wild. the way it did. I don't know, man. As as a as like a hobby designer, I would call myself. Yeah. Right. Um, anytime I make a curved line, I'm like this. is phallic shaped <laughs> like anytime i make a curved line in this design i'm like yeah. could be a penis yeah. like i it it but crosses guess- my mind so like if i was making a sign like that i would probably go like out of my way to like make the ear a little bit more like add that like indentation in the middle of it to like oh make it less phallic shaped but if i was me designing that and i thought it would be a good laugh i would have probably just left it exactly as it is now but the best part is so many people have to see something like that before it gets printed and approved and put up on I the know. ferries. I so that means know. like 20 people saw this and didn't see quite obviously yeah. a dick on the face. That's the crazy part for yeah. sure. Or they it's, did and they were I, like, is it, that's my thing. Is it crazy or is it only obvious once it's pointed out? You know, like, is it one of those things where it's like, it's, if, if no one pointed it out to you, I don't think, I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to imagine that you don't oh, that you don't dude, see it. I mean, yeah, it's I so. It's, it's so not even obvious. like. It's not even. It's <laughs> not even. You don't. You look at this, and you don't even have to. You don't even have to turn your head. You don't have to angle your head. You don't. You don't. You don't, a don't, penis, to, you don't I, It literally looks like a penis is just yeah. laying across the side of. This, yeah. Of this you don't need to strain your face, eyes or face. unfocus. Yeah. It's not an optical illusion. It's, it's a dick it's, on a face. It's how the ear looks like the head of a penis. Like re, like yeah. that is really what is is making this very obvious to me. Yeah. Like and and what other? I mean, is there another way to draw this that makes it 
look less like a penis or is just put a <sighs> just put a mask. Like yeah, does it need to be on a person? Yeah. yeah. No. Yeah. Well, you've I'm you've sure. heard it here folks. Uh this is the hard-hitting stuff that we are uh, choosing to cover on our Feel Good Fridays. This um, is why I went to journalism school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm actually it's, a, it's an online it, it's an online course a week over that I took over a weekend. It, but it, just, it really just like it like it just makes me think about the uh, recent our recent conversation with Andre Andre Picard and and like <laughs> And him, like, basically telling us that, like, we are – he's like, no, oh, you're a journalist. <laughs> I'm like, no, man, we really are not. Really, we yeah, are not. Yeah, but you know what? Andre Picard said we are, so <laughs> it's yeah. fine. Just yeah. like we're waiting for our honorary doctorate still. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Dalhousie looking at you. <laughs> um, <clears throat> all right, well, this is uh, – let's throw to this week's conversation. It's a, it really is a, a, a wonderful one. We're going to keep the intro short this week. Um, uh, this is our conversation with Dr. James Makokis. Uh, if you, uh, have been living under a rock, you might not have known that, um, uh, our, our guest, a little piece of fun, fun trivia, our guest was the winner of Canada's Amazing Race 7 with his partner, Anthony. Uh, Dr. James Makokis is a family physician, uh, who is um, also identifies as two spirited? So uh, we are going to have a really wonderful conversation about um, the work that Dr. Makokis does um, in the uh, the northern Alberta community that he is hailing from, and uh, we hope you enjoy our conversation because uh, it was it was a really fun one. So have a wonderful weekend. We love you all, and I guess yeah, we'll see you on the other end of this conversation. Um, okay, here we go. <clears throat> Dr. James Makokis, uh, a proud Cree from the Saddle Lake First Nation in northern Alberta. Dr. Makokis is uh, Dr. Makokis's strong connections to preventative healthcare, spirituality, and two spirit perspective has helped him save lives within the LGBTQ2 and First Nation communities. He's also leads one of the North America's most progressive and successful transgender-focused medical practices. Dr. James, welcome to the show. Nice to see you. Nice to hear from you. Where are you, where are you calling from right now? Because we, before we started recording, uh, <laughs> people can't see this, but there's this like beautiful old um, wooden sort of chest behind you with, with hundreds of little drawers and uh, Taylor, Taylor seemed to think that you were in some sort of museum archive. Uh, where are you calling from? <laughs> well, it calling feels that from? way in our living room here in Kitsiasutamunikutuasik, So I'm calling from Treaty 6, just outside of Edmonton. And this is actually an apothecary. Uh, so something that would have been used a long time ago by pharmacists. And it's neat because if you look on the drawers, it's like, you know, put into anus at night. So there's, like little, there's like little descriptions of, of like whatever used to be in there. Do but not insert is that, in the morning. Is that, is, that for, is that an actual like put oh, into yeah. anus at yeah. night? There's like um, drink freely, eye stuff, like, you know. Oh. Um, I wonder what's going on in the washes. anus at night specifically yeah. though. I want to know what that one was. <laughs> you can, I'll send you an address. You can, yeah, you can send that to me. Um, I'll write your prescription that. for that. <laughs> uh, uh, Dr. Makokis, uh, what, kind of, what kind of physician are you? So I'm a family doctor, and I work in a few different places right now. Um, so today I'm, I'm working in Paul Band, which is Wapaman, uh, about an hour west of Edmonton, which actually stands for like mirror. It's like describing a mirror in the Cree language. It's a Cree and Nakota community. And Kinokamasik, which is Kihiwan Cree Nation, which describes the lake is very long because there's a long lake and that's what it's called there. And also in Edmonton, about one day a week at my trans um, gender focused practice doing medical transitioning for people uh, who are gender diverse. Okay. Now, <clears throat> I know that you identify as two-spirit. Um can you, for for any of our listeners who aren't aware, or even even for myself, who needs a little bit of clarity on what is what is the term two spirit? What does that mean? For sure. So it's an English word to describe an indigenous concept that um, you know gender diverse and sexually diverse indigenous people reclaimed back in the 1990s at the mm-hmm. first international 
uh, Two-Spirit Gathering outside of Winnipeg. So um, prior to colonization in many Indigenous nations, including the Nehio or Plains Cree Nation, or people of the four directions as we call ourselves, had um, places for everybody, including people who are gender diverse or, you know, part of now what's called the GLBTQ spectrum. And that wasn't something that was abnormal. And in fact, there was many important places and roles that these people had within our nations and societies. So it was a like coining the word to spirit was a way of reclaiming um, what has been forgotten and, and, you know, violently displaced because of colonization and the imposition of Christianity, mainly through residential schools that caused this rigid, like gender binary of male, female. And if you think about residential schools, like you had one door for the ma- like the little boys and mm. one door for the little girls and there was no room for any variation from that. And so now many Indigenous nations, including my own, are reclaiming our own language around mm. these concepts. And so one of the, the words that we use in Nehiawe, when the Plains Cree language, is Tastawinuak, which means like the in the in-between people. And it kind of describes that concept that, you know, two-spirit people can go between many of these different uh, roles, whether that's male or female or in between um, in our societies. So it's mm. kind of like free flowing, if you want to think of it that way. Can you can you go into the uh, the I'm really curious about this, uh, the two spirit gathering that you had you had referred to that happened in the 90s. What was the um, what what was the catalyst to to that gathering? And like who 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 was backing that? Who brought that together? How did that how did that happen? Yeah, so it was an amazing group of two-spirit visionaries um, from, you know, what's known as the United States now and people in Canada who I think were just tired, you know, Mm -hmm. of being marginalized within our own nations, of being oppressed, and who had heard various stories from, you know, elders who did have that knowledge that, no, you guys have an important place within our nation these are some of the teachings around that and you know they organized and got together and it was kind of like a two-spirit resurgence much like there was the women's movement and then Mm. the indigenous people's movement in the 70s to regain rights and then later um, that happened and so um, you know since then there's been biannual meetings between Canada and the United States uh, hosting these gatherings where people can come together and remember um, these teachings and be a really strong source of support. I remember my first Two-Spirit gathering was in um, Montana at the Montana Two-Spirit Society on this ranch. Like it was these, you know, Montana ranchers, you know, with cowboy hats and cows and, and like, you know, cowboy boots and, and, you know, there's like these white cowboys walking around with all, you know, there's like these native drag queens from, you know, Oklahoma or, you know, there's like my friend Buffalo Barbie, who's this crazy Dene Navajo, you know, they don't identify as trans, but they're just like, you know, Buffalo Barbie and she does drag and she, you know, works as a construction worker with like a pink hard hat. And it's just like herself in her full element. And, um, you know, one of the days we have like a two-spirit powwow where people, there was like a two-spirit drum group and, you know, people could dance in whatever style they wanted to. So if they were like a trans male, they might do male traditional dancing. Or if they're a trans woman, they might do like jingle dress dancing or women's fancy. And it was beautiful to see people fully expressed in their element because, you know, often in contemporary powwows, there is the exclusion of people and they can't dance in the categories that they want to dance. And I think that's improving now um, Mm. with, you know, more education and relearning our teachings. But there's a really important place for... um, for those gatherings. So I encourage right. you to go. Yeah. I, in, in, in you just describing that it, it made me think about, 
Um, so I host another podcast with my wife, uh, and it's it's a it's a podcast about sexuality and relationships. And um, we've talked to a number of people on that show about their experience of coming out, um, uh, and you know whether that be trans or or gay or um, bisexual, what, what have you. And everyone's experience is so different. Um, <clears throat> but I'm, I hope that, I hope it's okay that I like it really personal here with you, but I'm, I'm wondering what, you know, this, this notion of two spirits, something that has been like, it seems, um, kind of squashed out over, over time due to, to, due to colonization. And then, and then this resurgence where like you're, you're reclaiming the term and, and the, the, the idea of this, uh, of this within your culture. Um, how, James, how old are you? A lady never tells her age. Uh, <laughs> okay, 38. Okay. <laughs> 38. Okay. So did you, did you, what was your experience in, in coming out as two spirit within, within your, within your culture and like within your family? Um, considering that, that the idea of two spirit, although has been something that existed within your culture ages ago was, was affected by colonization so deeply? Sure. So um, I was 17 when I went to university and I think I came out when I was 18, like in the winter term. And um, so I'd moved away in grade 12 to live with my sister in Edmonton just because the homophobia in rural Alberta was like pretty awful. And I was, you know, thinking back now as a physician, like I had all the signs of depression, like psychomotor retardation like walking super slow like Mm. you know just feeling really down all the time and I knew that if I stayed in that situation that I probably would not be a good situation of like self-harm or you know potential suicide or whatever happened Mm so I knew enough that I needed to leave that situation to move to Edmonton where there's more diversity so I graduated you know in a school with I think 1,500 people or something, one of the largest high schools in Edmonton. But anyway, um, in the second term of university, uh, I was like, oh, man, like, I got to tell all my parents, you know, because as, uh, you know, if you're gay and you're from a rural area, like, when you move to college, it's like, oh, my God, like, not, you know, everybody is, like, not the same anymore. And there's, like, difference Mm -hmm. and there's different clubs and, um, you know, Everything that you had to repress uh, growing up in junior high, like yeah, you could do that now. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. there's kind of like this sort of second puberty of like self discovery, which is mm. um, can be problematic in a sense for many people because you know it's very easy to get caught up in the bar scene or the club scene, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I took my mother to um, the old spaghetti factory downtown Edmonton. And I was like, mom, I have to tell you something. And so it's like, you know, you have like your bread and you have your salad and then you have your pasta. And then like they're bringing out the spumoni and she's like, uh, do you have, you know, the restaurant's closed. You're just like, do you have anything to say? And, uh, I was like, yeah, mom, you know, I, I have to tell you that, you know, that I'm gay. And so, um, my mom is awesome. And she was like, you know, son, I, I love you. Like, I love you no matter what. Um, and thank you so much for telling me. And of like, course we cried and stuff like that, but like to get to that point, you know, my mom in, uh, in the nineties started going back to graduate school. So she did her master's degree and then she did her doctorate degree. And then in doing her, uh, her, uh, doctorate degree in education, she started to learn about like, how colonization has really fucked up our people. Like, I'm just going to say that, like how violent it's been and um, how a lot of, you know, the contemporary socioeconomic, sociopolitical issues are a direct result of that. And it really helped to open up her eyes in terms of like, what were things like for us before this happened? Because, Mm you know, what we see in our communities has just become so normalized um, in terms of sometimes like the dysfunction that happens, but like, Mm -hmm. why does that exist? So um, that was really instrumental in our family because it shifted, um, 
you know, we did used to go to church a lot. Like I was raised as a Catholic, which is, you know, crazy to me um, to think that. But then as she started learning this, we started going back to our own teachings and she started fasting. Mm. And so for us, fasting is a very important thing that we do every year where we go out onto the land and go up, you know, for four days and four nights without food or water. And Hollywood has kind of, you know, sensationalized that into a vision quest. But it's really connecting with our wakutoya, like all the living things, you know, land, air, water, our animal relatives, plant relatives, those things. But more importantly, connecting with yourself and your own mm. spirit. And if you think about, you know, modern society, we're always on our phones, we're always on our devices, we're like always in contact with somebody else. And there's never any way to shut off your brain. And for you to like self reflect, and I think that's the point of meditation and like yoga and, you know, different aspects like that from other cultures. But mm -hmm. because she started doing that, it brought our whole family back into our more ceremonial teachings. Mm -hmm. uh, even, you know, we were raised that way, but it caused mm -hmm. us to go even further. And so um, after I told her, strategically, I told her when she was going on a business trip to Victoria, so I wouldn't have to see her <laughs> again. Uh, <laughs> right, and okay. then, you know, she came back and, and like, she, she's a reader. So she bought like this whole, like, you know, huge stack of books about like, what did you, what do you do when your son tells you they're gay or, you know, like stuff mm -hmm. like that. And so she was reading oh, through all these gay things. sons for dummies. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad had gone to residential school. So, um, you know, as a young boy for like a number of years, and you can imagine what that was like for a child to be in a violent environment like that void of love and void of your family and having all of these foreign values imposed on you, including like, if you speak your language, you're, you're going to go to hell or like even this concept of heaven and hell, or if you practice what your grandparents do for spirituality, you'll go to hell and burn and you're mm. bad, like all of these awful things. And so, um, you know, a couple months later, she's like, you have to tell dad. And I was like, okay. So we went to Denny's across the street from the university that I went to. And it just so happened that our whole family was going to watch Cher that night <laughs> at the Edmonton Coliseum. Opportunity Zone. And it's like... <laughs> like it's, Cher live? Like live? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is, you know, okay. like All right. a before her farewell tour and then her second farewell sure. tour. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, so if they didn't clue in that like their gay son is like, you know, mom, dad sister like let's Cher. go watch Cher as a family like yeah, yeah. That, that was your time but anyway I told my dad I know it was um it was a very different reaction you know like it was uh, it was uh like you know what did I do wrong like I didn't spend mm. enough time with you like you know that sort of stuff and it was like his you know he felt that it was his fault and um mm. and this is the impact that Christianity has had on our people. And so he went and shared that with his brothers and sisters. And a lot of my family is very traditional in our ceremonies. And it was one of my uncles that said to him, you know, um, this has always been in our teachings. And, you know, this means that your mm. son, you know, James is special and this is an important thing. And we're very mm. blessed. And it helped to shift in his mind because wow. it was, you know, to him, like, okay, this is a part of our culture. This is a part of who we are. This isn't something that's bad or wrong. And um, and now, like, my dad is one of my big, our biggest allies, and he's, like, mm -hmm. so cool, and he, you know, is very accepting of Anthony, my husband, and, like, they go out, we go out hunting together, and he, like, teaches him all of these things about how to live up here, because Anthony's Navajo, like, he's from the desert, and he's up in, like, you know, yeah. the Arctic, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well and it's be. a very different environment. So, um, you know, it, it, it's been a very, uh, it's been a learning experience. And mm. because I've, you know, been open, completely open about who I am, like we've been on a national uh, reality show and completely open about our relationship and, you know, mm -hmm. bringing these issues to the forefront that, that's, you know, the whole purpose about being open is to create that conversation where people might not have had the opportunity to talk about it before. And because mm. every Tuesday evening we were in like 2 million people's homes um, as part of the right. Amazing Race, like 
it created that dialogue. And I think that's one of the things that people always come up to us and tell us, like, we're so thankful that you, um, you were so open because now like my six year old was asking like, what is gay? What is indigenous? What is two spirit? And it gave me that chance to talk about that uh, with that's, that's so cool. James, I have to say, I, I watched your season of the amazing race and, uh, and I was rooting for you guys, but only after like the fourth or fifth episode, because, uh, uh, all three of us oh, are, right. are good friends. friends with Megan and Marie Wright. Oh, so yeah, yeah. sorry about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was happy you in sound the end so that, that you guys uh, took it, but so I, I uh, uh, yeah, they're, well, they're amazing. Here's a, here's a fun, that, I mean, <clears throat> it's a very fun little fact there that uh, you were on Amazing Race Season 7. Uh, fun little fact for you, James. Um, uh, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that Taylor and I were selected as starting teammates on on the amazing race. I won't say the amazing race and I most certainly won't say it was the season before season 7. But what what I will say is we were selected as starting teammates for a reality show that rhymes with um we'll just say rhymes with the schmishmazing schmace. And uh we were cut a, a week before we were supposed to go to uh, to the to the start date like to to train. Uh, because because uh, I have a sex podcast, Jeremy's naughty so. podcast. <laughs> yeah, took us off yeah. the start line. Oh. Yeah, kind of a bummer. True story. But anyway, <laughs> again, 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 I did not say which show it was, um, and uh, I didn't specify exactly which season. Which would have, if it would have been a season, maybe it would have been the season before you, James. Uh, well, I'll, that's I'll take no a worse than being a bare knuckle fighter, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sick Boy Podcast will be right back after this very short break. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I did want to ask about, um, as, a, as a physician, James, um, you know, I think of I think of like what I learned about indigenous cultures in in schooling, and admittedly, it wasn't very much. I mean, I think back no, to God, no, it wasn't. It was um, grade eleven, we had a Canadian um, history class, and I'm struggling to remember if the indigenous history was any part of that. I don't think it was, and it makes me think that like the the obviously the system is constructed without taking in to consideration indigenous cultures. And as you know, we've learned in talking to people on this podcast about uh, illness and disease and healthcare, there's a lot of, um, I don't want to say challenges as there are, but I, I, I prefer to look at them as opportunities in areas that we need to look at that are that where, where people are being um, left out. And I'm curious from your perspective, I, I can only imagine that there's a ton of things that need to change, but what are like, what are the glaring things that we're missing as Canadians when we think of healthcare that, that is, that is thought about, that, that considers every person in Canada and forget every person. What about indigenous culture specifically? Um. Yeah. So in healthcare, I mean, this is a huge topic, right? So I just want to speak to your first point about the erasure of Indigenous history and identity in the public school system. You know, I think that because that has happened and continues to happen is why we're in the situation that we're in. And if you only think of to the Mi'kmaq fishers that are yeah. in the region close to you and the violence that is happening because they're exercising the right to access their own land that we never gave up and to access their way of life that they never gave up. That's problematic that people don't understand that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, people, because people don't understand our treaty, that we agreed to live here together in peace and friendship and 
Um, you know, one of the original treaties was the Two Wamp or Marquise Manto Wiasue when the Pokwatehun Crater's Law Belt. And if you look up the Two Wampum, it's uh, again the Wampanoag people where wampum shells come from, those white shells. Um, it's a belt that is a symbol of what our relationship is supposed to be here in Turtle Island. So in that belt, there's two rows of purple beads, which represent an indigenous birch bark canoe and a European boat. And they're surrounded by white wampum uh, shells, which represents the river of life. And we're to li- and the purple beads are equal in length. One isn't bigger than the other. One isn't further ahead than the other. One isn't better than the other. That we were to live here in peace, friendship, and harmony, because that was the original vision of Turtle Island that our ancestors have. Why we why we're here, and we extended our invitation to live here with our relatives from elsewhere because of our concept of um, of uh, how we say in our language the word for visitor is umanteo, which means the kind, uh, holy people. And so when you have visitors, you need to greet them with that kindness and love um, and to help them because you all didn't know how to live here, like in snow, in like the conditions with the Mm. food, with like what you needed to do to survive. And so we helped you with um, in that way. We helped the newcomers in that way. And because you know, it wasn't only Indigenous people that agreed to treaty. It was non-Indigenous people that agreed to treaty. And inherent in that is that we never agreed to give up our land. And this is what the elders will do, is they'll do this with their hands, they'll put them together, and that's six inches, because that's the amount of land that we agreed to share, which is the depth of the European plow. So if you think of what's happening in the Mi'kmaq, um, lobster dispute, can a plow go into the water? You know, if you think about the mountains, if you're going to Banff and you see that cement plant on the side of the, the road where they're extracting that material for roads and things like that, can a plow go into a mountain? So if you think about those, you know, conceptually, uh, you know, the current situation that exists is because the treaties and aren't being followed and in which we agreed to live here in peace and friendship. And indigenous people are constantly reminding our treaty partners about this. And Mm -hmm. it's not only our job to do that. It's the other side's job to live up to that obligation that they agreed to live here with. So I think that's the first part. Um, The second question about health, this fits importantly into health and if we think about what recently happened with Joyce Eshaquan, who is the Atikamek woman, who is 37, so I'm 38, she's 37, and she presented to a Quebec hospital and filmed her death at the hands of uh, the Quebec health workers in that hospital, who, as she was dying, they were telling her, you're so stupid, you're only good for sex, Like, why are you acting so stupid? We're paying for you to be here. Like, and having these statements made to her. And then she had it on Facebook Live and eventually died. And it was because she did that, that it brought this issue of systemic and institutional racism against Indigenous people into the media spotlight. And in fact, that story made it to The Guardian it made it to the New York Post. It made it to various news media outlets around the world because consistently Canada says that it's a place that it's peaceful and it treats people well and it's a peacekeeping nation, um, you know, as part of the UN. But we have to look more critically about what happens. And there's numerous examples of that. If we look at Caledonia, you know, with the Six Nations people and the Haudenosaunee people who have a land dispute and the police are involved or any number of incidents where there's an intersection of Indigenous and non-Indigenous people that results in violence, what is the underlying cause of that? And in the health system you know, uh, from Treaty 6, and our treaty, which was agreed to in 1876, it was, um, there's a medicine chest clause in there. 
And again, that's another symbol because at the time when our people saw European medicines, it was in a medicine chest. There was like potions and tinctures and things like that. And for us, that represented healthcare. It was a symbol of healthcare. And so our elders at that time enshrined that, that we'd always have access to medicines in time and famine and pestilence, which is now COVID-19. We're in a time of, mm-hmm. you know, pestilence that we'd have aid and support because our elders saw our own medicines and our own food supply. So the buffalo example, which is exterminated, um, was diminishing. And we would need these new medicines to help us in the future. For as long as the sun shines, the grass grows, the waters flow, and as long as they're Indigenous people, which is in perpetuity into the future. And so um, that, because again, that has not been followed we're into this situation where we're in racial violence. And I think racism is one of the most awful, disgusting ways that we can be violent towards another human being. And um, there's so many improvements in healthcare with including indigenous medicines. And if we think about that critically, indigenous medicines are the original medicines of this continent. Western medicine is, is a foreign medicine. It's an alternative medicine. And in um, consistently, when Indigenous people access healthcare, they're denied the right to use our own medicines in our own healing ways. Which, if we think about that two-row wampum, those things are supposed to be equal, and we should be mm. able to access them at all aspects of the healthcare system. So, your question is a big question, <laughs> and is, there's yeah. many things that we need to think about critically. And I'm hopeful of the younger generation. So, you know, Taylor, you were talking about how people are more open to diversity and like um, gender diversity and like sexuality now. And I I think that's Mm -hmm. true. Um, And we need allies who it can only Mm -hmm. be indigenous people talking about this. It's not indigenous people who need to be talking about this amongst themselves. And, you know, recently I did an environmental scan because of the racism with Joyce Eshaquan of all of the medical associations across the country. So the, you know, BC Medical Association, the Alberta Medical Association, like all of those associations to see, you know, what is the representation of Indigenous physicians? Because at the time, in the beginning of the summer of the death of George Floyd, it was very politically correct for organizations from across the country to be putting out statements against racism. So, you know, all the health organizations were doing that. I'm like, I want to see, you know, if they actually walk their talk. So out of the 185 physician-dedicated board positions in these associations, including the Royal College of Physicians and including the Canadian College of Family Physicians, two out of 185 or 1% of those positions, and that was in Manitoba and at the Royal College, had Indigenous physicians. Mm. So, you know... People think about racism all the time as like being called a dirty savage or like a squaw or like personal mediated racism. But two out of 185 spots of representation of the sickest population in the country, that's an example of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And you what you what you mentioned there, um, what you mentioned there um, uh, a a couple minutes back Tell us about your tell us about your practice with um, your uh, the practice where you are uh, helping people with their transitioning. Um, mm. That is that that's something that where like we've we've um, we've we've talked to a couple of people on the show over the years of <laughs> um, of the the challenges of transitioning the the social challenges of transitioning the physical challenges of transitioning. Um, and now, and now with you, there's this, there's this like really incredible intersection of, of, uh, of your position as a physician, um, your perspective, um, as, uh, an indigenous person, and then also, um, your experience with, with a practice that helps people in this, in this transition. Tell us about that work. What's it all about? Um, what are some of the, what are some of like the great successes that are coming from that? What are some of like the, the, the headwinds that you might face, um, in, in that, in that work. Um, I know that, I know that we're all really, really curious to, to dig into that and find out more. Yeah, for sure. So thank you for the question. Um, so in 2016, one of my colleagues who is a trans physician and I went to residency with, um, 
and at this point I had been in practice for four years, he said to me, you know, James, if you want to do like, if you want to, um, if you do this, meaning practice transgender medicine, you will save lives. And I thought about that because that's why we go into medicine is to help people and to save lives. And I thought about, so how I practice medicine as a Nehio Maskikiwinu, as a Cree physician, is looking at everything that was removed from our people. Um, so that when they went into residential school, culture, language, identity, spirituality, medicine, ceremony, everything that was removed is a direct result of our current health disparities and dysfunction. So it only makes sense that we need to put those back into somebody and create the opportunity for that to happen. And as a doctor, you know, it can be overwhelming to think like, how is one person, can I make a difference? But we can make a difference as one person. And I looked at the health statistics of um, two-spirit trans Indigenous people. And if we look at them, which are very understudied, um, over half of them have attempted suicide. So if we think about Indigenous people and the statistics of like Indigenous youth being very overrepresented in suicide and self-harm, then Indigenous two-spirit and trans people are even more at risk of suicide. And so by allowing them easier access to transition is a major public health intervention. It's a, mm-hmm. you know, it's a personal intervention, but it's a public health intervention in addressing that suicidality. And I think out of all of the people that I see in my practice, um, when you, you know, when you give um, cross-gender hormones to somebody who's gender diverse, it's a life-saving intervention. Mm-hmm. And immediately the person will start to feel better. Um, They'll often start crying, like when you give them their prescription, because, you know, you just have to think of like, if you're wearing, you know, a bag over your head or a mask over your face, which we're all used to wearing masks now, you know how uncomfortable it is and you get acne and you can't breathe and all Mm -hmm. this stuff, that you can finally take that off. And you can finally be who you are and you can, it can, people can finally start seeing you for how you feel on the inside, but you've had to hide it for so long. And Mm. it's not only indigenous trans patients that need this, it's all, you know, trans patients. And in fact, I've had some patients from Atlantic Canada move to Edmonton to come and see me because it's easier for them to move across the country and be in in a city like Edmonton where they can access public transportation than to live in their small town in New Brunswick and have to drive four Mm. to six hours to Moncton or wherever it is to access like the one uh, doctor that provides trans care Mm. in the country. And I think, you know, um, this story goes for people who immigrate here from other countries. Like I have... Uh, a couple patients who move from places in Asia to like the Middle East to another Asian country to then Canada. And they planned out their whole immigration route over the course of 13 years, because if they were who they were in their country of origin, they would be put to death. And so there's huge resilience of people uh, who are from the gender diverse community, and we need to be doing a better job of that. We need more physicians, family doctors to do this medicine. And I always tell family doctors, because the biggest barrier is fear. We're not taught, taught about this in medical school or residency. Yeah. It's like, you already do, you know, gen, you already do hormone therapy. You provide birth control. You provide contraceptive. Right. This is no right. different than that. And so it's trying to ease the fear uh, of that for family doctors. Yeah. And I can't help but think of how, like, how meaningful it must be, too, for for a lot of your patients to know that you are approaching your practice from, like, as someone who identifies as Two-Spirit. You know, like, that that just must be, um, I can see how that would be really special and, like, and how someone would feel a lot safer in in that uh in that realm but yeah that's it's really interesting that you put it that way about how you know these physicians they're already doing they're already doing that work it's a really that's a really that's a really good way of looking at it um 
James, I, this has been such a treat to sit down and chat with you and to, to dig into all of this with you. Um, I want to say, say thank you for taking the time um, out of your day to sit with us in your beautiful apothecary there uh, to, uh, to dive into all of this subject matter. And, um, and yeah, it's, it really, really means a lot. So thanks for, thanks for taking the time. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. We'll see you soon. Thank you all. It's good to meet you. Thanks, James. Thanks, James. Well, there we go. What a what a lovely human. Amazing. <clears throat> yeah, just like yeah. you know, it's I. One of the things that I, I, I you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get too far into this, but like when we, when COVID struck, and we were, we realized that like we weren't going to be able to record with people in the same room anymore. I was really worried that doing it through these tiny screens was going to like remove the element of like humanity that you feel with another human when you're like having face to face interaction. <clears throat> but um but obviously like we learn pretty quickly like that sh- that sure isn't the case. But man, Dr. Dr. Makokis like just has such such like an inviting warm mm-hmm. aura about them and like to to look at them through a screen like you really are kind of transported to that space. And um, I don't know if that will translate through the audio, but fuck, just such a nice time to sit down and, and have a, a chit chat with someone so lovely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, folks, we hope you enjoyed that. Uh, if you liked it, great. Uh, you will be back again on Monday and we're, we're back every Monday and Friday. So, uh, you can keep listening to us wherever you find fine podcasts. And if that's not enough for you, go to at sick boy podcast on Instagram, Twitter. And, uh, I think we do Facebook stuff too. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, I think we're, we're, we're posting our recent, our most recent Q drops up on Facebook. So you can find yep. those there. Yep. Regular Q drops. We've got, um, we've got, uh, Karen, Karen handles the Q drops, um, <laughs> Uh, they, they come out intermittently. We don't really, we don't really publicize exactly what it is. They're kind of subliminal. Anyway, um, if you've got any stories, you know, we've been, we've been launching out some, some fun stories and some cool, uh, things that we've heard from fans of the show, uh, on the podcast lately. And if you've got any of those, you can send them to letters at sickboypodcast.com. If you want to, uh, tell us about, um, something about how you have been engaging with the show, your own journey, things that, um, have happened to you, uh, that are really fun and cool and neat. And if you want to be a, if you want to be a guest on the show, I just, can I just, can, hold on. I just got to say, <laughs> Taylor, the amount the amount that you reference your mom's house jokes on this podcast is for anyone who doesn't do that. I know. For anyone I who, honestly didn't even mean it. Now it's in it's in my regular vernacular. It, it really actually is. And for anyone who is a mommy who listens, like they they hear it for Dad. sure and they go, Yeah, nice. But anyone who doesn't <laughs> They like, just don't it, even know though. But they either don't know or they go, wait. What, what did he say? <laughs> anyway, right. anyway, well, continue, continue. I mean, if any of my mommies or any of my denim daddies out there want to uh, apply to be on the show, you can go to sickboypodcast.com slash contact and, uh, and hit us up there and maybe we'll have you on the show and have an awesome conversation with you like we did with Dr. James. Mm-hmm. And a huge thank you to the folks that make this show happen predominantly and most importantly, number one, Lauren Sankey, who is a co-producer and communications lead and uh, co-host of these Feel Good Friday episodes. A huge thank you to Lauren for just for everything you do. You're really amazing. Uh, And then a lesser thanks goes to uh, Taylor McGilvery, Jeremy Saunders, and of course Uh, myself, uh, who are also co-hosts and uh, producer of the, of the show yep. uh, yep. huge yep. thank you but like even lesser so than the first four people i named um to jeff lonis who manages the podcast yeah and, i'd agree with that uh and, <laughs> and, a, and a and a big thank you to uh jeremy saunders who makes these episodes happen he who is the master of editing and mixing these feel good friday episodes um in support with uh occasionally donovan the cpap morgan and a uh, huge thank you to Rich O'Coin, who does the theme music for these Feel Good Friday episodes. We love you, Rich. But more importantly, Brian, how's your mom? <laughs> she's uh, she's hanging in there. I'm really glad that you asked because, like, that's really Ooh. you know, speaking of great interviewing skills, you're really mm. getting to the meat and heart of 
heart of the issue at hand. So thanks, thanks, thanks for asking. I mean, my you mom's can, doing pretty you well. Can, you can thank my weekend journalism course. Yeah, I should actually start including our our parents in the in the thank yous at the end of the show. You actually, should. you know what? That actually would be pretty wholesome <laughs> and sweet. Uh, that is, <laughs> it's on it's on brand for me. <laughs> that. <laughs> I do call you sweet Brian in my head. Whenever we get a message from you, like, oh, there's a sweet Brian. <laughs> uh, you're the best. Uh, that is it for this week. I am sweet Brian. I <laughs> am tender Taylor. <laughs> I'm, I'm lovely Lauren. And I am jiggly Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy Podcast. <laughs> <laughs>